Hi, I'm Kat Holbrook, cook, lover of all things British and host of The Doorstep Kitchen. Welcome and thanks for tuning into this show which celebrates the best of British food and drink. Each week I'll be chatting to someone that inspires me by cooking or producing delicious things on our doorsteps. We'll also hear from our expert forager Imogen Davis on what delights you can find right now and I'll be sharing some of my favourite recipes which I hope will inspire you. Coming up in this episode, I'll give you my family recipe for strawberry shortcake and Forager Imogen speaks about meadowsweet, a gorgeous wild plant with honey and almond notes abundant in damp ditches and along riverbanks right now. But first, let's dive into my chat with Kentish chef Will. So my guest today has won countless awards. He's a champion of farm to fork dining and everything is homemade at his restaurant, The Small Holding. Welcome, Will Devlin. Hello. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How's the farm today? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, a bit overcast, but um, yeah, no, we've, there's still loads to do. <laughs> still keeping busy. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's a busy time of year trying to get everything. We're still seeding, plus we're kind of planting out, plus we're direct sowing. Plus, we're kind of moving things to cold frames to harden up. Mm-hmm. Peas have gone out, all that stuff. So, yeah, it's flat out, which is good. Flat out, yeah. No break for you. <laughs> no, no. Well, a little bit of a break. We're not we're still busy every day, but we're not, um, yeah, kind of still relaxing. <laughs> nice. Um, so, Will, you're the chef owner of the small holding in Kent. Yes. For those who don't know what that is, can you just explain a little bit what that's all about? Yeah, so, uh, so it's a small holding. So, we, we grow... Um, a lot of our food, lots of pigs and chickens. We just started lambing our sheep as well. Oh, lovely. Um, so, and, and a restaurant. So the whole idea is we started just about two years ago. And the idea behind it was just pr- like we felt like we were just chefs that were just processing food. You know, we'd, we'd order a box of everything in and just just be that kind of factory to <laughs> chop it, cook it, whatever, and, and process it just to serve to guests. And we kind of, we missed all of the stuff that happened before. And I was really interested in that for a while. Um, we started a pop-up restaurant that was kind of getting back in touch with farmers and and understanding what grows in our area and, and sort of championing producers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought one day we'd one day we could do this ourselves. And and yeah, we were lucky enough to to find the right spot. Um, so yeah, so we've got just over an acre here with polytunnels, raised beds, chickens, pigs, lots of our fruit, canes one apple tree <laughs> um and then we've got a little patch of land just around the corner that we took on last year which is 40 acres so that's really where we're kind of going to be upgrading over in the future wow to sort of graze the sheep we've got a flock of 16 jacob sheep there um so we're trying to basically the whole idea is anything to do with what we serve at the restaurant we want to be a part of it and we want to kind of understand it and work at making it super tasty basically that's all it's about um us as chefs we were involved with the with the growing plan from the beginning nice. along with jenny who's our head gardener so it's it started off with just me and my brother and a few friends and now we've kind of got like a head gardener she and jenny and claire uh, who supports her she's was um head gardener at a national trust site just down the road yeah so um you mentioned that in, you just started it with your brother yeah. uh, matt and a few friends and matt does more of the kind of drinks bar side does he yeah, Matt's front house, yeah. So we've both been in the industry since we were kind of like, what, 19, 20, so like 10, 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's always been always been front house, behind the bar. The first place we ever worked, he was behind the bar, I was washing up. So, um, yeah, he's always done that kind of, he's run a couple of restaurants and, and, and a few pubs and stuff himself before. 
so it was kind of a natural progression we were both a bit fed up with what we were doing and we wanted to just do something for ourselves that kind of meant something yeah are you both kent boys are you from the area yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so we're just um just up the road in horseman den which is a little village kind of yeah near tunbridge wells kind of near maidstone tunbridge wells if anyone knows kent okay so it's nice to stick to your roots yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I mean, we moved away and we've both done, done other things. I've worked in London for a little bit. I moved away. I lived in Spain for a year. And then, um, but like coming home is is like, I don't know, I love it here. It's lovely. The kind of, um, the, all the things that we used to hate when we were younger, yeah. like the fact that there's no there's nothing around and it's really quiet and whatnot. Do you know, now, um, yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, really appreciate it now. Yeah, for sure, yeah. So, yeah, you, you mentioned that... You just wanted to like get in touch with the the produce that you were kind of buying in. Yeah. How did you start off? Like, what was the first thing you obviously bought the land and yeah. you decided to grow some stuff? What was the first thing you thought? Right, <laughs> let's put that in the ground. God, um, what was the first thing? I mean, we the first thing we actually got out of the ground were, were radishes. Mm. <laughs> that was our first successful grow because they grow quite quickly, and it was in spring that we opened, so the weather was changing. Yeah. But we set a plan when we first opened. We set a plan. We grew like about a hundred different things. Wow. Um, and then we're up to we're up to over two hundred now, like varieties of things. So throughout the year, that is. So um, yeah. So when we the first thing we got out of the ground was some little breakfast radishes that we were we were super happy with. But, oh, um, lovely. And they've kind of we've kind of always had them on the menu. Comes out as a, one of the little snacks before the before the menu. Um, you know, it's that success of a, a little perfect little pink radish is uh, is quite cool. Yeah, real joy. Yeah. Um, and then recently, I know that you kind of have got more, you know, pigs and sheep, and you've got um, Jersey cows. Is it? No, we've got, no, we, but we use we use Jersey cows just from um, from a dairy just up the road. Okay. Uh, so Hinkston Dairy work really closely with them with all of our dairy. Um, mm-hmm. But no, we don't own them. Our, our own cows would be the next uh, be the next step. Yeah, but um, I've got not right now. I always, <laughs> I always keep getting told to slow down, which I do too much, because um, obviously cows are infrastructure and the milking and mm-hmm. all of this kind of medicine testing and stuff like that. Do you know, they need and they need a lot of grazing, but we do want to do it one day. Well, you've already you've already got you know hens, sheep, pigs. You're pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, a couple of ducks. We've got a lot going on. Yeah, we get through. We get another couple of years of lambing out under our belt, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll conquer the cows. Nice. Um, <laughs> so obviously, you're based in Kent, and you know, you grow your own, and then you use sort of Kent yeah. Kent produce around you. What do you love about? Because they call Kent like the Garden of England, yeah. don't they? What do you love about Kent produce? I think that um, like the the variety from from the seafood to the game to apples, cherries raspberry strawberries those kind of things soft fruit um potatoes as guys at Morkew estate growing some really wicked uh, variety of potatoes up into you know whitstable oysters like there's so much that's around us as well as the breweries the vineyard scene hits wicked um mm-hmm. and yeah some of the distilleries like that kind of thing i think that kent's just good in general for for produce obviously it's great for growing like it's um it's the Garden of England, so it's always been agriculturally quite important and, and successful. But I think now that they're now in the last probably definitely sort of five, seven years, but probably 10 to 15 really, where people have the quality of the, the local stuff is really high r- rather than just um, you know, using the local guy because you want to support them, mm. which is obviously fantastic. But 
actually some of our produce is, is one of the best in the world you know like it, it's and it makes it easier for us to do what we want to do but that's yeah, kind yeah. of the reason why we do what we, we do because we want to kind of shed light on that and explain to people like these are grown here and and you know we we kind of shout out and give names as we serve that like chefs serve all the dishes so we can explain to the guests not in the two kind of like, overcomplicated way just a basic of what we've done and mm. why we did it and where the if if it was something we grew or if it was something from one of our one of our guys um and the, a lot of the time we get wow i didn't realize they grew this in here and and, mm-hmm. and a lot of people actually live quite close to some of our producers um and they don't know too much about them you know that and they realize actually there's there's amazing things on their doorstep so yeah that's 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 really cool that's really cool that's what we like yeah that's really nice yeah you can like go to a local restaurant and discover that actually you know that they've got some incredible well you know i think english sparkling wine from kent is is amazing and i'm, I'm sure that matt has some of that on the on the list yeah we've got loads yeah 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 and 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 a lot of the still wines as well i mean sparkling is obviously up there and i think it's it's well recognized now and it's just it's only getting better but um actually a lot of the still wines that are now produced around here sort of in kent and into east sussex we're we're, we're right on the border of kent and east sussex so um we've got tillingham vineyard there um obviously chapel down are one of the sort of biggest um we work with gusbourne are amazing um and there's hundreds you know and and there's then there's more and more picking up and i think that's a really exciting time to be a part of sort of food scene down here Mm -hmm. so your your menu at the small holding there is the full acre which sounds incredible 10 courses the the, you know the real deal yeah for sure yeah um tell me about that (laughs) so that is literally i mean we we didn't want to kind of go down that route of like tasting mint because tasting menus i think sometimes conjure up a little bit of a false pretense in people's minds they think it's formal and they think it's really fancy or they think it's going to be kind of poncy in some way but so so, mm. so we wanted to have like the full farm so we, so we, we do a half acre menu at lunch which is like a half menu so yeah the, the full acre is about trying to use everything in our one acre of land yeah and celebrate everything that we produce kind of just in a bit of a a bit of a series you know it's it's not um it's not a fine dining tasting menu it's refined cooking we like to think but it's all about the produce and focusing on that journey sort of through the farm um and celebration of ingredients is really where we want to be at with it that's the kind of that's the end game of focusing on on each part of the farm of whether it's the whether it's the fruits whether it's the vegetables whether it's our pigs whether it's the eggs from our hens um and just having that kind of journey through what's available to us at this time whatever time of year it is yeah so i imagine that the menu obviously changes a lot absolutely so we kind of work in two ways we work at the end of the year we look at our grow plan for next year around december we look at what we what we want to do and quantities and where we want to kind of be at with the varieties we grow and then we break that down into a short term of what's available in the next couple of months and then we kind of throw some ideas around with some some dishes then and then obviously they get shrunk down again to kind of more on a weekly basis of what's actually available um in the farm and then that changes a lot depending on how busy we are you know we Mm. if we get a super busy couple of weeks then we might use all of our radishes for example so the menu can change the menu changes every we don't it changes so much that we don't print out a menu anymore um so basically when a guest comes we just explain to them this is kind of what we do is is there anything you don't eat or anything you're allergic to Mm. um and then we just 
cook what's exactly what's available just no waste there's no like pressure there's there's it's it's true to the fact that we take it out of the ground and if we've got 10 portions of that and we've got 20 people booked then we'll do something else for the other 10 people so we're trying to lose that restriction that like a, a normal restaurant would have where if a supplier lets them down with something or they the things aren't the right size they they kind of lose their lose their head a bit whereas we just change the menu you know yes yeah, so you've got to be really flexible absolutely and we've always got loads of stuff around that's part of the joy of pickles and ferments and dressings and vinegars and salting things and whatever we've always got like a some things that have that are from us that are kind of stored and preserved so we kind of just go to the go to the pickle fridge and have a look and see see what we can use brilliant yeah no i definitely wanted to speak to you more about how you preserve those ingredients because going into winter and kind of like the hunger gap um you, you don't have all the bounty of sort of summer available but any excess produce obviously you want to keep that and whether it's yeah salting or clamping or preserving you know pickling jams you want to keep that so that you can use that throughout that kind of the winter until spring spring hits so what kind of stuff do you do a lot of what we do is obviously that that thing so it's the the pickles the ferments the the kind of cold storing and stuff like that but to, to be honest, we moved towards quite a. We just moved to a different style. We don't cook with a, lo- a lot of vegetables in that kind of hunger gap. So a lot, of, a lot of seafood comes on to play. Obviously, a lot of game mm-hmm. um, into the menu, and then those bits that we've pickled are just used as a garnish for a bit of acidity, or they might be used as a sort of a texture or a sauce or something like that. So our menu changes a lot. I mean, we, the, the worst time to come as a vegetarian to our restaurant is is in that season. But then if you come in, you know, July, August. We've got very little meat or fish on the menu because everything comes from the farm. Mm. So we might have our, our pigs or um, or a little bit of uh, some of the the mutton. We use a lot of mutton in 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 August. So yeah, that kind of hunger gap bit. Um, we tend to use a lot less vegetables. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's just just the way it is. Um, do you do any foraging in Kent? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We we foraging something that we love. I think it's about getting a bit of exercise and getting out into the woods and, and the hedgerows and things. It's, I mean, obviously at the moment, plenty of hogweed, dead nettle, yarrow, ribwort plantains out. We've got rowan berries. We forage a lot of nuts and stuff in the winter. So there's there's so much stuff around here. We work, um, we work on that. We're closed on Monday and Tuesday. So normally Tuesday will be a little bit of a foraging day for us. It's really about getting together as chefs and waiters and stuff, not being in the pub because that's the other, the other option is going to yeah. drink a load of wine <laughs> or beer. So it's good for us to get out and have a walk. Um, and obviously we've got our spots of where we pick certain things from. So we'll go to get wild garlic, for example, um, and go and get a few big bin bags of that and then spend the day sort of making oil or pesto or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that's something that I, did, I got into it. I mean, I think every chef's into it. I think when you realise that you can go for a walk and get food, then most chefs are like, "Let me in." Like, how do you do it? What's what? Mm. So, um, like, I got into it probably about six, seven years ago. Um, uh, there's a guy called Miles Irvin who runs. Uh, he's got a company called The Forager. So he's had a book out and everything like that. He's he's he works with like loads of chefs and restaurants and, and just got, the guy's like, a, yeah, he's amazing. So. He's, he just lives up the road from us, so we're lucky enough. I've been out with him a few times, mm-hmm. and uh, we work quite close together about him kind of introducing new ingredients to us. I think once you tap into that kind of wild food thing, like for me anyway, it blew my mind um, that there was this whole catalogue of 
ingredients and flavor profiles that I've never seen before and never been taught and never used. It's not in a lot of sort of traditional cookery, like you don't get taught it at college. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a whole new world. And, and I love that. Mm. Um, I love that kind of blend of that farm and fire, that wild and kind of farmed kind of mix. Um, and, and we do that. We do that a lot because even if it's just some wood sorrel from around the corner, like we, we literally we come out of the back of our restaurant and there's there's the woodlands are right there. So yeah, we're in there yeah. getting blackberries. We're in there getting wood sorrel. We're in there getting the set mushroom if, if it's a good season. Um, we've got a beefsteak mushroom tree that we harvest from. <laughs> you know, like and and when you start looking at um, foraging, I mean the, the word foraging. That's what it's, it's just it's just gathering food, and it's. But just like we have um, the patch of potatoes on the farm, we have the place where we get our elderflowers from. Do you know, like, and you and and from sort of scoping the land and walking around, we know that's the best bit. That's our wild garlic patch and whatever. Um, and I don't know. It's so nice to be sort of like just have that connection with with the outside. I love it. It's it, mm. from going from like a steel box of the kitchen where the extraction's running and the pans are clinking and. Like it's kind of it feels a bit sort of industrial to then um, be out where it's sort of soothing a little bit more natural it makes just takes the pressure off I think yeah definitely well it's all about self sufficiency and I think everyone kind of craves that yeah and yeah. Um, that's so nice because you're you know you're, you're you're really up there with restaurants and things that are mm. self sufficient yeah and, absolutely um, yeah you I think you bought another restaurant this year didn't you. But yeah, we took a lease on it. Yeah, took a lease on it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're not at that stage yet. But yeah, so so it's the Curlew in East Sussex. So as I said, we're only a couple of miles from the border of East Sussex. Mm. Um, so the Curlew's down in Bodium. Um, it was um, well, it's, it was an amazing restaurant for for a number of years. And um, we actually looked at it just before we took on the small holding. Oh, okay. Um, so I kind of we'd been in talk, talks about it and. I settled with here and I'm, I'm so glad I did. And then they, they kind of approached me again and said, hey, we still want to kind of lease it out. What do you think? And I'm denied and, and then kind of it took about another six months to a year of kind of really working it out and do we do it and what would we do? And um, so, yeah, but we did, we, we made the jump sort of early this year, January, we signed the lease. Mm. At the small holding, we've got our dining room, which is... Um, 20, 24 covers, really small. And then we've got our bar area that we always wanted to be like a kind of kind of small plates, tapa bar kind of thing where we people would kind of have a bottle of wine and a few nibbles and just kind of enjoy a Friday night or something like that. Um, and the restaurant kind of took over. The restaurant got super busy and we ended up using the space for something else. But that was still at our hearts. They're the two sort of best ways I like dining. I either want yeah. to sit down and just have a have the chef have whatever the chef's cooking you know that kind of tasting menu or we go out with a group of us and we kind of pick and choose and share and sort of chuck all the food on the table and get our hands in kind of family style so that was what we wanted to do at the curlew um and we did um we could have a bit more freedom with the dishes that we put on they don't have to follow in a succession and they don't have to we don't have to look at the whole menu about balance of flavor we can just have sort of We've got about 15, 20 really banging dishes that are punchy, full of flavour, um, as well as some like larger plates that like uh, river beef and like our monkfish on the bone that's kind of like rolled in curry salt and stuff. So like just really, we call it like Ugh, food. <laughs> yeah, you want to eat it. Like you, you can't, you can't wait, but just get there with your mates and 
yeah, a couple of bottles of wine in mm. and just just get involved with your hand. Dig in. Yeah, exactly mm. that. Just so there's a little bit less um, kind of commitment from like a guest point of view. You haven't got to sit down for like two two hours. Yeah. Having having this tasting menu with wine pairing and stuff, which is amazing. I love it. We're telling a bit of a story and a journey. You can just rock up, nail like six or seven plates and a few pints or whatever, and then and then go. Like it's mm. it's a bit more free free than than some places and and there wasn't really anything like that in the area so yeah we wanted to kind of put our twist on it yeah totally um so last year um you won chef to watch in the good food guide awards which is amazing how was that for you yeah it was wicked i didn't i don't know it was a bit of a surprise so um i didn't know really what to say we were just blown away i thought that's pretty cool like the good food guide's kind of recommended by people as well that sign up to it and then you come and get like an inspection and they get to know us we the first year we opened we got in the good food guide which was wicked it's really good and then the second year obviously we got in it and and i got that 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 sort of nods kind of like recommendation or whatever you call it i don't know how to say it like pat on the back or something or just say like what you're doing cool like keep doing what you're doing i don't know really it's it's like an affirmation that you know what you're doing is good <laughs> yeah well i suppose it not yeah well probably not really because i just said to watch me i haven't done i'm done <laughs> so like, <laughs> i suppose it's probably teeing up to like you gotta do like, i've got to do something now and we've got to win something otherwise it's <laughs> not much to watch well you've just opened another restaurant so i think you, you know you're doing good things <laughs> Yeah, we're keeping busy. Totally. <laughs> um, brilliant. And then lastly, I just want to ask you what your favourite um, British ingredient is at the moment. As every episode, um, I'm going to be sort of dictating a recipe based on what my last guest says. So, Yeah, Kent strawberries are wicked. Mm-hmm. Um, Meadow sweet is pretty cool. Or both of them together. Yeah, they're great together. So we grow our own strawberries. There's something obviously about them when you pick them straight out of the polytunnel, they're super warm. We don't put them in the fridge. So we pick them every day and we use them like on that service. So they never get chilled. So the sugars never kind of like harden up in them. And like there's nothing better. It's, it's unbelievable. So yeah, Kent strawberries has got to be up mm. there as one of the best things. Amazing. Um, and you said they pair quite well with meadow sweet as well. Yeah, for sure. It's got this tonka bean vanilla flavours, mm. which is um, wicked, obviously, paired with strawberries and, and summer fruits and stuff. Yeah, lovely. Okay, great. I look forward to creating a strawberry recipe. They are one of my favourite ingredients ever. I used to work at Wimbledon, ah. so the strawberries there are incredible as well. And every morning they get shipped up from Kent. Well, they exactly. That they all come from Clockview Farms, which is just down the road from us. They do a lot of Wimbledon strawberries. So, yeah, best in the world super good great to snack on yeah absolutely. Um, all throughout the day while you're prepping <laughs> <laughs> amazing um well it's been so lovely talking to you thank you so much for coming on the podcast no problem it's a pleasure thank you very much for the call i completely agree with will there is nothing better than a juicy sweet british strawberry have you ever been to wimbledon and had the ones there they are just incredible each morning they are picked from the farms in kent and shipped straight to the championships for maximum flavor Strawberries go very well with meadow sweet, which Will mentioned, and that Imogen will speak about very shortly. This recipe has a forage twist and uses this lovely plant. It's my family recipe for strawberry shortcake, really simple and quick, and serves eight. All you need to do is make a shortbread base from three ounces of sugar, six ounces of cold butter, and nine ounces of plain flour. Chop the butter into small pieces and rub it into the flour until it resembles fine breadcrumbs. Then knead the mixture together until it forms a ball, adding a tablespoon of cold water if it's not coming together. Then tip the dough onto a baking sheet lined with greaseproof paper and shape it into a circle and prick it with a fork. 
Bake it for 20 minutes in an oven preheated to 180 degrees until it's a light golden color. Then remove and allow to cool. Then just before serving, fill the base with hulled strawberries, putting them upside down, and then glaze with some meadow sweets or elderflower cordial. I have recipes for both at doorstepkitchen.com, or alternatively, you can melt some red currant jelly and brush that over the fruit. The shiny glaze looks so tempting, and then I serve mine with a jug of cream. A really simple, delicious strawberries and cream dessert. You can visit doorstepkitchen.com slash recipes slash strawberries for the recipe. I've also linked the exact page in the notes under this episode. Now we're moving on to speak to our expert forager, Imogen Davis from London restaurant Native. She joins us every week. Hello foragers. After a bit of a dump week, it's been great to get my wellies on and get walking along the riverbanks and wet meadows to find this week's foraged find. We've waved goodbye to the elderflower blossoms and that makes way for the grand entrance of the most wonderful candy floss flowers of Meadow Sweet. Their sweet smelling fluffy honey blossoms with creamy white dainty flowers have anti-inflammatory and antiseptic properties as it is high in salicylic acid from which aspirin was derived and apparently is a great hangover cure. You can just make a tea from it and it's great. The common name of this plant came as a result of it being used to flavour mead and is one of my favourite natural flavourings ever. Sorbets, cordials, ice creams, the possibilities are endless so you can have so much fun with this almond honey flavour in the kitchen. The best thing to do is to harvest it and then try not to bruise them when you pick them and then take them home and dehydrate them straight away and then you can use them all throughout the year. The leaves, the blossoms, the buds and the seeds are all edible but just not to be taken in excess. When identifying, the leaves have a three-pointed sycamore-style leaf at the end of the stem with pairs of leaves along the stem below. They have ridges all over and the stem is a deep red colour on one side and pale green underneath. The scent of the flowers, which is my favourite part, or even the crushed leaves and stem are also useful for identification. I've heard a few descriptions banded around, but for me, the leaves have a watermelony flavour and the blossoms are almond. There aren't really any that you could confuse this flower with, so get your wellies on and go for a muddy walk along the canals or rivers and enjoy this most fantastical ingredient. Thank you, Imogen. Next week is the last episode of Series 1 of The Doorstep Kitchen, and it's a goodie. I speak to James Wetlaw, a goat farmer and former chef. He tells me the fascinating reasons behind why we don't eat goat and why we really should be. Courgettes are also at their best right now, so I'll give you a recipe using those, and Imogen will be back with her last forage find. See you then!